0: This episode is brought to you by GSK. No two cancers are the same. That's why at GSK, our oncology scientists are working on personalized treatments. One way we design these new medicines is by harnessing a patient's own immune system to target and destroy tumors. And by creating new combinations of medicines that work better together, we hope to transform cancer treatment for patients in the future. Welcome, everyone, to another debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan of ABC News, and once again, it is my honor to act as moderator, as the four debaters you see sharing this stage with me here at the Skirball Center for the Performing Arts at New York University, four debaters, two against two, will be debating this motion, Islam is a religion of peace. Now, this is a debate. There will be winners and losers and you our audience will be acting as the judges by the time this debate has ended you will have been asked to vote twice once before and once again after the debate on where you stand on this motion and the team that has changed the most minds will be declared our winner so round 1 is opening statements by each side and i would like to begin by introducing our first speaker for the motion islam is a religion of peace i'd like to introduce zeba khan the only american on our panel and quite possibly the youngest debater ever to take part in an Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. Welcome, Zeba. I I know that I first became aware of you when the Washington Post was running a reality game show to name America's next pundit. They had 1,400 entrants. And what place did you come in?
1: They had 4,800 entrants, actually. 4,800.
0: And you came in? I came in second. Second. Well, (laughs) look where you are now. Ladies and gentlemen, Zeba Khan.
1: Thank you. I want to express my deepest gratitude to the Intelligence Squared Forum for allowing me to speak tonight alongside such well-known and far more distinguished co-panelists. This is particularly an honor for me because, let's be honest, I haven't written a book. I'm not a regular on national TV or radio. What I have is my story. I am a Muslim-American woman born and raised in Toledo, Ohio, by two very loving Indian Muslim parents. My sister, brother, and I were raised in a middle-class American home. We went to mosque on Sundays, attended Sunday school classes, and prayed the community prayer with our community of Pakistanis, Lebanese, and Syrian Muslims. When I was in high school, our mosque president was a woman who did not wear a headscarf. And it may come as a surprise to some of you, but for the entirety of my life, men and women have prayed side by side at our mosque, and both can enter the prayer hall using the same door. My parents are both very religious people, but they express their faith in different ways. My father emphasizes the devotional, whereas my mother emphasizes a more constructive approach. She uses community service and volunteering to express hers. But what they both share is fundamental Islamic principles. First and foremost, seek knowledge. They urge their children, all three of us, to question, and to doubt. They lived out the Quranic commandment that there is no compulsion in religion, and also that God said in the Quran, I made you into many tribes so that you might know one another. My story is just one of 1.5 billion stories in some 57 countries. The Muslim population is one of the most diverse and eclectic in the world. Like Christians and Jews, Muslims can be observant, non-observant, reformist, humanist, extremist, mainstream, and there are even some Muslims who consider themselves culturally Muslim but are actually atheist. Now, the motion for you tonight is asking you to determine whether Islam is a religion of peace. And at first blush, that might seem a bit tricky to decide. After all, the Quran and the Hadith have verses in them that point to peace and, and justice. But there are other verses that are violence, So how then do we reconcile these seemingly contradictory verses? The only way to answer that question is to take an honest look at the people who practice the faith and how they interpret it. According to Gallup's groundbreaking study on what a billion Muslims think, 93% of Muslims around the world are peaceful, mainstream Muslims. 7% are what Gallup terms as politically radicalized. As Gallup concluded... What distinguishes the politically radicalized Muslims from the mainstream Muslims is their politics, not their piety. Let me be clear. There are some horrifically violent criminals out there who twist our faith to justify their hate and their violence. But I'm here to tell you they don't speak for Islam. If you vote against the motion, I would argue you're voting against the moderate voices of mainstream Islam and telling the terrorists that you agree with their version. I urge you to vote for the motion. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Zeva Khan. Our motion is Islam is a religion of peace. You have heard the opening statement in support of this motion. Now to speak first against the motion that Islam is a religion of peace, I'd like to introduce Ayan Hirsi Ali, a very, very well-known uh, dissident, born in Somalia, fled to the Netherlands where she was a member of the parliament. Now she's in the United States once again on a, in case of asylum because...
2: Basically, I was afraid for my
0: life.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, I respect and admire Ziba Khan, and I want to acknowledge the fact that you indeed are a demonstration of the assimilation of a Muslim individual, a Muslim woman, into Western society, into an American society that you come from a middle-class family that was very eclectic and respected pluralism. However, I disagree with you that you represent Islam or that you speak for Islam. The problem that is inherent in Islam from the time of its foundation up to this moment is who speaks for Islam. Is it Ziba Khan or is it Faisal Shahzad, who was also a middle-class man, went to business school, Married an American woman, had two children, lived just like you, and yet he made a different choice based on a combination of piety and politics. And that's what Islam is. And before I go on, let me define the key terms of the motion. First, religion. The most common definition of religion you will find is the universal quest of humans in search of the sacred or the holy and you look at a religion like Islam, on an intellectual level, it was expressed by the founder of Islam as a demolition of all other gods. From those of you who are familiar with history, you know that no monotheistic religion can be a religion of peace. Monotheistic religions know periods, lengthy periods of peace, but they also know lengthy periods of war. The founder of Islam, Muhammad, in his lifetime conducted 65 campaigns of war that were all successful. That history of militarism, combined with the legacy of empire, those two points alone belie the motion tonight that Islam is a religion of peace. But that's not all. When empires decline, those who are defeated sometimes find themselves in a state of victimhood. A mentality of victimhood tells those who are conquered, who are vanquished, that the problem was caused by external powers, not by us. Yes, it was external. Yes, Muslims were humiliated. Yes, they were conquered. Yes, they were colonized. But how much was also because of the flaws of Islam? That combination of a status of victimhood and the absolutism the demand that you can never revise or reflect on the quran that you can never never ever refute what muhammad said you can only follow his example is also enlarges the likelihood of conflict that belies the motion i'll keep my last two factors for the time i have remaining thank you
0: I'd like to introduce Majid Nawaz, who is director of the Quilliam Foundation. And he is, in a way, uh, has an amazing biography. Uh, Several years back would have been America's Nightmare. He was a radical. He was imprisoned in Egypt while on a trip there, though he's born in the UK, was in Egypt and tortured for being a radical. And something happened to you in prison, a 180-degree turn in one sentence. What was it?
3: Amnesty International. But I'll explain that in my, hopefully, Fair in my presentation. Fair
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Majid Nawaz.
3: Thank you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for giving me this opportunity. I want to uh, begin by just stating what this debate is not about. This debate is not about making excuses for terrorism. This is actually not a debate for Islam at all. This is a debate for peace. Because there were people like me who spent 13 years of our life working to create hatred. I used to believe that Islam is not a religion of peace. In fact, I used to believe that Islam mandates war. I used to believe and propagate across the world that Islam mandates war and mandates the creation of a state that will have at its heart of its foreign policy, a policy to create conquest. I called it jihad. I believed Islam was not a religion of peace because I adopted an ideology at 16 years old and stuck with that until my imprisonment and then after I was released from prison when I was 28 years old. But I learnt in prison two things. One was what I'm appealing to you here today, and that was when people hand out an olive branch, it does work. People I had considered my enemy, Amnesty International, with their advocation of human rights that I believed was a tool to colonise the minds of Muslims, adopted me as a prisoner of conscience. And by handing me that olive branch, I recognised that there was goodness in the world, and there were people who, regardless of the provocation they find in the world today, are still willing to fight for peace and are still willing to redefine the debate. And the second thing that happened to me in prison was that I had the opportunity, I won't say good fortune because it wasn't really that, but the opportunity to mix with some of the leading founding jihadists of the world inside an Egyptian prison, ironically built by the British. And what I learnt was that I had been extremely arrogant, I had failed to contextualize history. And when I was this young and angry 24-year-old who, yes, had grievances, who'd been stabbed at multiple times growing up on the streets of Essex, been falsely arrested on a number of occasions because of racial profiling, I was a very angry young man. But I went to men in prison who had been in prison since I was three years old, and they had abandoned their previous terrorist ideology, and I had the arrogance to try and convince them that they had sold out, that they didn't understand that true Islam was a religion of war. And they said to me, young lad, come and sit down. We'll tell you a story or two. And over the course of the four years, after having learnt Arabic, after having memorised half of the Quran, after having studied the theology, I came to the conclusion that Islam had been hijacked and abused and politicised by something that I now refer to as Islamism. And these former jihadists, among them the assassins of Egypt's former president, Anwar Sadat, who was killed in 1981. They had come to the same conclusions. And so I appeal to all of you, as my time runs out, there's much more to say, to vote to help us all to redefine this motion, to redefine this world, because only by, by refusing to accept the paradigms that we find imposed upon us can we refute change. Thank you for your patience and thank you for your time.
0: I'm John Donvan, and this is Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. The motion is, Islam is a religion of peace. I'm John Donvan, and this is Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Our motion is, Islam is a religion of peace. And now to speak against the motion, Douglas Murray. He's a best-selling author and founder and director of the Center for Social Cohesion, a member of the Church of England. Until recently, you you said that your study of the Quran made you an atheist.
4: That's right. I said, Mohammed made me an atheist. The the, uh, publisher said at the time, that's that's a pretty provocative headline. I said, well, get somebody to do the next one. She said, "Um, I could find a Catholic who could say, Mohammed made me a Catholic. I said, how about trying to make it a three-part article and get the third one, somebody saying, Mohammed made me a Jew. And that one would be the trouble. Douglas Murray, ladies and gentlemen. Let's make this as as straightforward as I can. Take the categorization that eminent scholars like Bernard Lewis, Ibn Warak have made. Let's say Islam is a very, very complex thing. Uh, And the best way I can do this in the very short time I have is say you have three Islams. Islam one, two, and three. Islam one, the Quran and the life of Muhammad uh, and the Hadith. Islam two, the tradition of the Sharia. Islam three, what Muslims do now. The first of those things, Islam, the Quran, and so on, is bad. There is a lot of violence in it. And what's worse, the peaceful verses are superseded by the violent verses. The violent verses also, sadly, are more numerous in number. Then you've got the life of Muhammad, again, a bad man. Uh, uh, takes child brides, abuses a small girl, uh, multiple wives, uh, himself a warrior, himself a war criminal, himself beheads uh, uh, Jews. Uh, this, I would have thought, would be a signal of not great peacefulness. Um, LAUGHTER Then you've got the tradition of the uh, Sharia. Again, not great peacefulness. Still no schools of Sharia that people in this hall would want to submit to. And thirdly, what Muslims do now. Thankfully, there is some hope in that one. Because most Muslims, thank goodness, I almost said thank God, but uh, (laughs) old habits die hard. Um, uh, Most Muslims don't do what those texts say. Um, because they exercise their judgment as moral beings without having to refer to defunct holy books. Now, look, I wish that uh, Zebra and Majid uh, were the spokespeople of Islam. It would be lovely, although in Majid's case, it would have taken rather too long if everyone had to go for 14 years preaching the downfall of America and then said, no, not so much. That, uh, <laughs> uh, but well, we, well, we are where we are. Uh, anyhow, I wish they spoke for Islam. It would be great. Uh, but the fact is that tonight the organisers of this debate asked a number of clerics, none of them would show specifically they wouldn't show and debate against Ayan Hersi Ali they will not debate time and again Muslim, the actual leaders of your religion will not debate this and you're left with people like we have here, the reason why is of course is that the leaders of the religion show such terrible, uh, uh, terrible lessons uh, it is not a small thing, it's not as it were a detail, it's not like a wacky floor a pastor, that you've got the largest Sunni state of Saudi Arabia, the most important Sunni state in the world, the most extraordinary closed prison of a society. It's not a one-off nut job. The thing that worries me is that although tonight we hear from the fellow panelists here about how Islam is a religion of peace, the fact is that the people who are making the decisions in the religion, the people who are preaching in the religion, the heads of that religion, people like Sheikh Haradawi, who broadcasts anti-Semitic the most appalling filth every week on the main networks. That is the, the faith, you, the, the, the speaking for you guys. I wish that, Ziba, you were on every uh, week on Al Jazeera, but you're not, Karadawi is. To say that Islam is a religion of peace is to say something based entirely on hope. It's to elevate a hope into truth. And I hope, as you all know, history teaches us that's a very bad thing to do. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Douglas Murray.
4: This is an Intelligence
0: Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. We have two teams of debaters arguing out this motion: Islam is a religion of peace. The side arguing for the motion, Zeba Khan and Majid Nawaz, have been arguing uh, make the argument that. The extremists do not define Islam. Take away the extremists and you have a religion of peace. The side arguing against, Ayan Hirsi Ali and Douglas Murray, argue it's not about extremists, it's inherent. It's inherent in the tradition, it's inherent in the scripture, and it's inherent in the history. And to the question of the notion, Ion um, Hirsi Ali, of this not just being about extremists, you concede that there are extremists, but that's, you say, not the problem. What about your parents? What about Muslims you know who do not adhere to a violent form of religion? Are they, if if there's something about the faith themselves, are they embracing spiritually something that is morally an illusion?
2: Well, my parents and uh, people like my respectful opponents here are ignoring the basic tenets of their religion. When Muhammad, the founder of the religion, called out to all Muslims, and that's how he won most of his wars, by saying... I have been ordered and all believing men have been ordered to attack and kill anyone unless they testify, unless all men testify to the fact that Allah is the one and only, Muhammad is his messenger. My father disobeys that. But the fact that that scripture is there and that history of militarism is there belies the motion that Islam is a religion of peace. But you cannot, if you pay attention to that history, pay attention to the evidence, continue to say that Islam is a religion of peace. No monotheistic religion is a religion of peace. No monotheistic religion is only a religion of war. It is both. What is to blame on external factors? What is to to blame on the inside?
0: Who was
3: an extremist, now an anti-extremist. Majin, respond. So, um... I uh, forgive me for the assumption, Ayan. Do you speak Arabic?
2: I don't speak it as well as you do, and I want oh, to I know, know what the, where the question is going before I give a full right. answer okay. to that. You if be, you want me to quote the Quran, surprised. I will.
3: You may be surprised. That I don't <laughs> know if I speak one well or not. But the reason I'm asking is that you just quoted a hadith of the Prophet, and you actually really did exaggerate what he said. Now, what you quoted in the translation was "kill and maim," and he went on and explained. Now, actually, uqatil means to fight. Now, I'm not saying that that's a good hadith. What I'm saying is when we're translating, let's try and be accurate. Uh, And that brings me to the point. And that is that I've just thought of a word to describe this. And it's just come to me, so thank you, because I'm going to use it forever onwards. And that word is suspended intelligence. There's a tendency when discussing Islam to suspend the tools that we have learned and studied, that you have studied as well, and that is that we recognize that texts do not speak for themselves. We recognize that when we interpret scriptures and texts and books and poetry, that they are contextualized, that we have methodologies to approach them. When we're reading Shakespeare, when we're reading anything, we recognize that there's a way to interpret texts, and there are schools of thought and differences over how to approach texts. Now, if we contextualize Martin Luther and say the Reformation was a good thing, Despite the fact that he said, kill and slay the peasants, wherever you find them, when they followed Thomas Munzer, when he was calling for not just breaking away from the papal authority, but also for rebelling against the monarchies and the dictators that they found themselves in. Despite that, I'm prepared to say the Reformation was a good thing. And the reason I'm prepared to say that is that Martin Luther must not be judged by the standards of civilization that we after an accumulation of thousands of years have arrived at he must be judged by the standards of civilization that were around during his time
4: come on and quote verbatim from text uh, yes we read things in their context i mean you read really? Chaucer in context chaucer doesn't have followers you we, we don't, we don't have followers of Shakespeare who insist on, or meant to be insist on line by line following everything Shakespeare did and believing everything he wrote. That's because it's literature. Actually, what's happening, Majid, is you're single, you've You put your finger on the problem. It's not us that isn't applying the rigorous critical faculties. We're applying them to the Quran as we would to any other work of literature. You're not, because you can't. And, and, and the final thing what, on that, what do you if, mean Majid, he can't? if Majid... What, what do you mean that he can't, Douglas? Just... Well, because Majid she knows very well... Majid is a believer. And believers are
2: not allowed to contextualize the Sorry, text. Can I, can,
4: right. Is that true? No, it's not true. Now, can I
3: say... What do you that think that of Muhammad many...
2: taking a six-year-old as a bride? What do you okay. think of that?
3: I don't think that's a particularly good idea. However, <laughs> what I would say is... That, Glad to hear it. There are many, many people we are in history that have done such a thing. And what we're talking about here is the failure to contextualise actions for the standards of their time. And I'll come back to the point I made, because, Douglas, yeah. you didn't yeah. address it, despite I'm your protestations that you were so. going to. Now, let me just ask you again. Martin Luther was a fundamentalist, yes. wasn't he?
4: If they were currently Lutheran... There are Lutherans around. You meet them occasionally in Scandinavia and so on. Very nice, very nice it is. And peaceable guys they are, by and large. If, however... There was a large proportion of Lutherans somewhere in Scandinavia that started blowing up non-Lutherans, or no? Sorry, let's be absolutely right. Started massacring peasants. Do you think the people would say, "Hang on a minute, let's not criticise Martin Luther. He did that by the standards of his time. We shouldn't criticise his followers all that much. And we shouldn't point out what he sends so on. No, we just say, you know, don't go and massacre peasants. Full stop."
1: Khan. Oh, um, I just wanted to point out, in terms of when we're talking about the Quran and saying that we can't contextualize it, that's simply not true. That's that is a debate that's hot in in the community amongst Muslim scholars and amongst Muslims themselves. We're debating that very question. Um, the fact is, scholars say that you know when you look at the Quranic Arabic, there can be two, three, four, five, six interpretations for every word. There's only certain things in the Quran that scholars agree are concrete, like the concept of God, afterlife, things like that. But beyond that, there is a wide, wide range of interpretation, which is why there is a history that not many people look at, and that's part of the problem, that nobody's actually looked at the history of debate within Islam about every sort of aspect that can come to mind.
2: I disagree with that. The reason why I disagree with it, it would be more accurate, Ziba, if you said, the scholars that you find attractive say that... But there are a bunch of scholars with a great number of following in Islam take, and all of them are self-appointed, by the way, because there's no hierarchy, there's no seminary of Islam, except the uh, University of al Azhara and we know the products of al Azhara, But there are scholars like Bin Laden who say we have to take He's not a scholar by anyone's Well, he has the greatest following, the Islamic Brotherhood. When you look at the Sunni Islam, when you look at Ayatollah Khomeini in the 20th century, the most influential guy of Shia Islam, another self-appointed scholar, maybe these are individuals that are not attractive to you. They are attractive to many Muslims, not thousands, but in the millions. And that's why they're influential is they challenge every single Muslim individual. Are you a true Muslim? If you are a true Muslim, you live by what the Quran dictates, you follow the example of the Prophet. Muhammad, right, their interpretation and those though. scholars who insist on that are far more Sorry. influential, far yeah. more powerful Sorry. than your spoken wonderful, quoted... cuddly scholars. Well,
3: <laughs> imagine now. Yeah. So, Ayan, Ayan, you just quoted uh, bin Laden as a scholar, um, he's a qualified engineer who comes from one of the richest construction families in Saudi Arabia and was educated in the elite private schools of Switzerland and Saudi Arabia. And in fact, what you find common with all of the movements that you're worried about and that I'm worried about and we're all worried about are that they are founded by people who do not have a theological background. Now, for all we think of al-Azhar and their very conservative views, what we don't find is that al-Azhar produces the likes of bin Laden and Hassan al-Banna or even Mawdudi, the founder of the jamaat islami in the Indian subcontinent.
2: Why don't, Please, you name Ayan, a don't of define who are influential for the whole who are not? world
3: who a Muslim scholar is, because actually the people you refer to were not qualified theologians. But don't
2: you touch on the problem, by, by admitting this, don't you touch on the problem that is inherent in Islam after the death of Muhammad, that the problem of who speaks for Islam?
0: You're, you're almost making the argument that Islam is what you want it to be, depending on how you behave. So if you behave peacefully, is it not a religion of peace to you? <laughs>
4: Majid's uh, trying to imply that the whole extremist problem is a sort of misreading by engineers and literary critics. Unfortunately, that's simply not the case, hasn't been historically in Islam and isn't now. Um, uh, Ayatollah Khomeini, uh, who uh, who Ayan mentioned earlier, was not a self-trained engineer, rich boy like bin Laden, unfortunately, and managed to hurtle a very developed, distinguished culture back in time in 1979 and hurtled this country back into the state it's currently in under these uh, cloaked dictators.
3: Sorry, on on Khomeini, I acknowledge Khomeini is a trained theologian and the fact is he came in the 70s, Douglas, and that proves something. What was he so famous for? Khomeini was recognized for bringing a revolution in Shiite theology. And what was the revolution? Those of you who've studied this will know that the revolution was that up until him, Shiites had been avowedly religiously secular because they believed no one had the right to rule in God's name until the Messiah came and let them wait for that Messiah until the end of time. Khomeini changed that and turned it on his head. And if that proves something, it proves one thing. And that is it was, not in, it was not consistent with Islamic Shiite tradition. What he did was a very modern revolution. He broke from tradition. He was not a continuance of Shiite tradition. It's the
2: fault of the Europeans, in other words. It's no, no, external. No, no, no one's Remember so. no, the no, no. victim status. All right, no, no, All right. It's no, so. I, no, me, I it's want to bring okay. Zeba, and Zeba okay.
0: I want to ask yeah. you something about reforms for Islam. Does Islam need reform?
1: It needs a renaissance. It doesn't need a reform. Reform in the sense, and the reason I say that is because we have to be careful of our terminology. If we say reform as in reformation, we're thinking of a Christian context. So there, there can't be a reformation in that sense. What there needs to be a, is a return to genuine Islamic principles, which have been not studied, have not been in, enforced and, and, and forgotten. Um, so it, it, it's, it's not exactly that.
4: But, Douglas but, Murray. But don't we get back to one of the core problems which you still haven't addressed, which is the life of Muhammad and his teachings, which is as follows. Is it if a Christian group decides to go back to the teachings of Christ, you know, the worst stuff they find is the Sermon on the Mount of Olives, but the rest of it is all love thy neighbor and all that sort of stuff. If you're a Christian group looking to go back to the sources of Christianity, you just find a lot of, well, hippie stuff for a lot of modern people. <laughs> um, um, so, so what is it about this religion we're talking about tonight that you say is a religion of peace, that when people go back to the origins, they find a founder who was violent teaching violence?
3: See, this, this, this comes back to what you mean by people going back to the origins. And I refuse, as, as does Zeba, and as we're asking for all of you to do, is to refuse Uh, for Islam to be hijacked and monopolized by the bin Ladins of this world who want to tell you what it means to go back to the original sources. Now, if that was the case, then I ask you, why is it that in Bangladesh, where there was a free and fair election, the Islamist party lost roundly? And time and time again, in elections across Muslim majority states, they have proven that their interpretation of Islam, and they are the majority, is not the interpretation of Douglas, Ayan and bin Laden. Now, I don't want to be in that camp.
0: I'm John Donvan of ABC News. This is an Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. We're at the Skirball Center for the Performing Arts in New York City. Our motion is Islam is a religion of peace. We have two teams of two arguing for the motion, Zeba Khan and Majid Nawaz, and arguing against the motion Ayon Hirsi Ali and Douglas Murray. One of the, here in the West, one of the issues that is very complicated for people in coming to terms with what they think Islam is, is the status of women in Islam. I'd like to go to Zeba Khan, take that on, you know what I'm talking about
1: the perception is that a lot for a lot of people out looking at the muslim world and muslim majority countries is that muslim women are they're subjugated to a point where they are intimidated to ask for their rights and to, to demand them but that's not the case i mean when you look at uh, muslim majority countries if you look at iran for example where there's zero gender gap in education obviously when you're that when you're at that level of education you're you're aware of what your rights are and what you're what you are demanding um, in places like Afghanistan or Pakistan where the where, where the gender gap is larger, that gap obviously needs to be filled. There it's not it's it's women that are stepping
2: up and taking the lead on this.
0: Other side response?
2: When I try to define Islam as a religion, religion there is expression, What you find in the Quran is expression after expression, verse after verse, and also in the Hadith, that women are subordinate to men, that they have a guardian, they need to have a guardian, their testimony is worth half of that of men, in, they can only inherit what, half of what their brother inherits, you see honor killings. You see women who are denied education. If you look on a global level, the levels of illiteracy among women in the Middle East is appalling. That's not something that I'm telling you because I misunderstand Islam, but that is report after report. The situation of women in the Middle East, in Muslim countries, is dire. And Ziba, I think that denying that, I then try to question where does your solidarity lie as a woman who grew up in a free country and as vocal as you are, shouldn't you be more solidaire with them?
1: I absolutely am, and as all women should be, and actually all human beings should, to, to demand the rights of equality. In fact, most Muslims want equal rights for, their, for the women in their societies. And if it goes to just go to the research, go to the polls, when you ask men, should women have equal rights?, Majority in the countries surveyed in, in, in the Gallup survey said yes, they should have equal rights, including in Saudi Arabia.
0: I'm John Donvan, correspondent for ABC News Nightline and host and moderator of Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating. The motion is, Islam is a religion of peace. Stay with us. I'm John Donvan, and this is Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. The motion is, Islam is a religion of peace. All right, so we're going to go to questions from the audience now, and right against the wall
1: there. Zeba, in your opening remarks, you said that Islamic terrorists are motivated by politics, not religion. Considering that Islamic terrorists make up the majority of suicide terrorists in the world today... What's happening to Muslims politically that isn't happening to any other major religious group that can account for the disproportionate amount of terrorism coming out of the Islamic world? Um, So, what I don't... I can't say is... I know that it's a complicated question. And so you you have history involved, you have different factors that contribute to the answer. What I can say for sure, just based on looking at the studies that come out, is that the level of religiosity, the level of piety... Of, of terrorists, um, compared to mainstream Muslims, is virtually there's no difference. It's literally, when you ask them how, how practicing they are, how, how, far, how often do they attend uh, services, things like that, it's literally the same. So that can't be the distinguishing factor. When you ask them, the one big difference is when you ask them what they fear the most, and they say their perceived uh, idea of Western domination which is very similar to what we hear from our opposition, a perceived fear of Islamic domination.
3: Um, There's also, I think, just to add something, that that, um, the preponderance has a lot to do with um, the spread of a certain ideology that I refer to as Islamism that has arisen in the post-colonial context and that was exported to the Middle East through the, the, the geopolitics. Now, what happened was that there was a, a need for a cause to resist against uh, colonialism. The cause, the ideology that, that the Arabs adopted who were resisting initially, it was Arab socialism, Ba'athism, and that morphed into Islamism. So what it's related to is the spread of this ideology that has hijacked the minds of many young Muslims. And yes, Muslims need to do more to challenge this ideology. We are trying to convince them of that, but this is a very modern phenomenon. I remind you, is a modern phenomenon, and he created a revolution where he flipped Shiite theology on its head, as, as are the others. Bin Laden, Said Qutb, they are all modern phenomena.
0: Okay, Majid, you have awakened the other side on this topic.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Majid, what you're saying is Islamism is invented by the British. External, external, external. Those poor Muslims who are seduced, with the Quran and the activities of Muhammad, their own culture, their own convictions, their own history. They are only the victims. When Muslims were successful, when they conquered lands, it was all great, it was Islam. Now that we are faced with this problem, it's Islamism, and it was created by the British okay. Empire. Well, I, I... I grew up as a Muslim. I left Islam. Why did I do it? Because I couldn't hide away from the blemishes. Can, that part of the problem is us, yeah, not just no, the British. Empire. I'm not
3: saying it's the fault of the British. If I was going to say that, I would, would have joined a very successful what British law firm. What has Islamism got
2: to do with Islam?
3: I'm, I'm, I'm saying to you, I would have been a lawyer and I would have got on with my life. Yes, I'm ready for you, sir. This has to do with the Muslim community's reaction to suicide bombings. The silence of this community on suicide bombings is something that in the West we find puzzling. How would the panellists react to that? Thank you. Yeah, so um, there, there have been many, many such uh, fatwas or pronouncements against suicide bombings. Uh, many, in many cases, they're not reported. There does need to be more. However, I'll give you an example of why in some cases there aren't more. Now, recently, we at Quilliam publicised a fatwa about Dr. Tahir Al-Qadri against terrorism that Douglas, always a pleasure to speak with you on the panel, supported Um, and was quoted in the press as supporting. Now, the reason why there aren't uh, many more such examples, though there are uh, quite a few, is because... Prior to Dr. Tahir al-Qadri issuing this fatwa, his colleague, who was also from the same way of thinking, was assassinated in Pakistan, was killed by a suicide bomber in a mosque because he had the guts to simply give a sermon in that mosque condemning suicide bombings. And so this is why many people are scared, because it takes guts, I tell you, to go into Pakistan and try and challenge these extremists. That's a country that doesn't have much rule
4: of law. Uh, I'm sorry to say this, Imajid. you seem to have just proved our point. Yes, (laughs) Am I... <laughs> Please explain. Is, is it, is it, I mean, I'm very grateful. It's a very important and very interesting question why more people don't stand up. I much admire Al Qadri for that fatwa as I have other people who have stood up but the number of times I've spoken to clerks behind closed doors and so on and you say, why aren't you saying anything? They, they say, because if I do speak up, I'll be killed.
3: How on earth does fear of being killed in Pakistan by a minority faction of extremists prove Islam is not a religion well, of peace? Let me put it this way. Let I mean, me goodness, put it this it way takes, then. No, Oh, sorry, sorry, I've got to. Because really, what you've just said is really quite absurd, and I've got to clarify. It takes one person to kill all of us here. One person in a suicide bombing. Now, if we were scared of saying what we're saying now because of that one person, it doesn't mean all of us love war and hate peace in any way whatsoever. It means we all fear that one person who could walk through that door with a suicide bomb imagine, jacket strapped to his chest. If we were That's discussing Quakerism
4: argument, like here tonight, does anyone think that when a Quaker said, I'm quite fearful about speaking up against certain things? Come on, this only happens with Islam. There is no other major faith in the to world true, today Douglas, where it is the case be, that people for, for are that, fearful of addressing religion because they're afraid they'll be killed. So that's the decision. of reason. being
2: killed by apostates. Yes, and many for of you who came here tonight came under unusual circumstances. Just, I mean, just Can a you normal, explain what
0: you mean by unusual circumstances?
2: Unusual circumstances? You went through metal detectors to come to a Debate in New York. The, par- the people that I am protected against, and you as an audience too, the individual who wants to kill me because I'm an apostate of Islam is inspired, inspired to do that from the scripture of Islam.
3: Sure. So I tell you, he's inspired by the very same interpretation of Islam that you have. He's not inspired by Islam. He's inspired by your interpretation of it. That is Bin Laden's interpretation of it. That is Sayyid Qutb's interpretation of it. And I've got to say one last thing. No, no, because uh, I've got to say one last thing. I have an Al-Qaeda death threat on my head too because I'm saying what I'm saying. And what I'm saying is that, and I've been attacked in Pakistan physically for saying this. What I'm saying is enough to extremism, enough to terrorism. Let's separate Islam from extremism and disempower the minority of extremists who are trying to hijack a good faith.
0: And third question?
3: I hope this isn't too
2: naive, but if Islam is not a religion of peace, is it possible for it to become one? My answer is, first of all, can it become a religion of peace? Yes, if a number of conditions are met.
0: But what is it for all of the people who practice it peacefully?
2: But let me, un- let me but complete what, the position. And not practicing, only practice then. it peacefully, but we. That,
0: that's the part that I'm not finding in your explanation.
2: In my view, no monotheistic religion, because there's that divider between we and they, and you say a lot of people practice their religion in peace. What we know is that a lot of people are passive and are actually not practicing their faith, are not practicing Islamic Who are you to say who's practicing their faith and who's not? Let me finish. It's not not for you to decide. I'm Muslim. You're not. But let me finish. You are not practicing chapter 2 of the Quran, verse 191 and 193 and slay them wherever you find them and drive them out of places whence they drove you out, for persecution of Muslims is worse than the slaughter of the non-believers. Chapter 2, let there be no compulsion in religion. That proves my point. If you... Read from the Quran and you say it's a religion of no compulsion, and you believe that that verse is practiced by a person like you, you will concede that there are other Muslims who will read the verse that I just quoted and be inspired to engage in acts of violence. It's not just a religion of peace, it's also a religion of war, and both verses prove that. Okay.
0: I would, ma'am, I see you. Yep.
1: What she just read from the Quran, you know, you didn't, you, you expressed that you didn't agree with it, and I just want to know exactly how you interpret that chapter she just read to us.
0: To that end, I happen to be Roman Catholic, but my wife is Israeli and my son just went through his bar mitzvah. There was some pretty spicy stuff in Leviticus.
1: (laughs) So how do I interpret is what you're asking. Despite what our opposition says, I do have that right. I look at my faith and the way I was raised with core Islamic principles, which is how my family raised me and that I determined as an adult were correct. The other point I want to make to that is that there are clergy and clerics who, are, um, who, who do stress this. I mean, if you look at 2005, at the Aman message, where 200 Muslim scholars from 50 countries stressed a reemphasis of Islam's core values of compassion, mutual respect, acceptance, freedom of religion. There, there is precedent for this, not just for me as, as a layperson, but from the clergy as well, to reassert these, these lost, in some, in some areas, lost uh, values. Uh, I have a question for Ayan Hirsi Ali. Uh, I'm a Muslim woman. I'm from India. My
3: question is, if women are not uh, educated, what does that have to do with Islam? Because according to my understanding of the Quran, the first word that was revealed of the Quran to Prophet Muhammad was read. It had to do with education. The education, it doesn't say educate men, do not educate women.
2: Thank you so much for that question. I completely agree with you that uh, women in the Muslim world today are denied education. The reasons that are given by those who do the denying are Islamic. They refer to the concept of guardianship. So the guardian has the authority to decide whether he sends a girl to school or not and for how long she goes to school. The main reason in Muslim countries where girls are sent to school, Muslim communities where girls are sent to school, the main reason for pulling them out at the age of menstruation is the fear that they might lose their virginity. That modesty that is demanded of girls, where people find within the Quran and in, in the Hadith that insistency on her virginity, on her being a virgin on the night of, her, uh, of the, her wedding, that is one of the main reasons that is given.
0: And that concludes round two of our debate. So here's where we are. We are about to hear brief closing statements from each debater. They will be two minutes each, and this is their last chance to change your minds and to respond to some of what's been said over the last hour. You will be asked to vote once again and to pick the winner just a few minutes from now. But first on to round three, closing statements. Our motion is Islam is a religion of peace, and speaking first against the motion, Ayan Hirsi Ali, a resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute and a critic of fundamentalist Islam.
2: Islam is not a religion of peace, and I woke up to the facts on the 11th of September 2001. Talking to people of my faith, Islam, I remember all kinds of fallacious arguments, but I remember one consistent thing, and that was to exempt Islam from any criticism. It was culture. It wasn't Islam. I was told, it's politics. We've had it tonight many times. But Islam not only has a pious dimension, but it also has a political dimension, a complex system of laws, a political philosophy on how society should be organized. And if you look at that political system, it's anything but peaceful. What emancipated me from the order to submit my will completely to Allah was to learn to think critically, the Enlightenment. Vote against this motion and open up the flows of Islam for debate in order that Muslims, those who are not yet emancipated, may take charge of their own reason, of their own faculty. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Ayan Harsing Ali. Our motion is Islam is a Religion of Peace. Now to summarize her position for the motion, Zayba Khan, writer and advocate for Muslim American civic engagement.
1: Thank you. Faisal Shahzad, the underwear bomber, and the the group of young men that were picked up in Pakistan. All of them were for violence and trying to attack our country and, and learn how to attack our country elsewhere. But the one thing else that the media consistently forgets to mention or conveniently forgets to mention is who turned all of them in. It was Muslims. It was their family. Because that is a Quranic principle, that you stand up for justice, even if it's against yourself. Our opponents have a very simplistic outlook on on, on the world and and what's currently at stake. They see it being Islam versus the West. But the truth is, it's not. It's it's between moderates and extremists of all kinds. I urge you to vote for the motion because the overwhelming majority of Muslims, the facts are clear. They are peaceful. They're, They're mainstream and have no interest in terrorism. I'm asking for your help as people of reason and of people of a moderate voice. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Our motion is Islam is a religion of peace, and here to summarize his position against the motion, Douglas Murray, best-selling author, founder, and director of the Center for Social
4: Cohesion. Thank you. Well, um, I think we, on this side, made it very clear that we don't think there's a fight between Islam and the West, or Islam and civilization, or anything else like that. We've made a very clear set of points tonight. And one of those points, which I hope people bear in mind, is we have said repeatedly that it is in Muslims and their critical faculties, Muslims and their behavior, Muslims and their faith, that we have hope. And it is in people like you, that we have hope for the future. And if the motion were that Islam a century from now could be a religion of peace uh, and people would be quoting uh, Ziba and, uh, and Majid uh, and uh, seminal moments like this and that they had learned... From it, well, that would be terrific. But at the moment, tonight, you're being asked to vote on whether Islam is now a religion of peace. Is Islam a religion of peace? I think it is very clear. We have to be frank about what we see in Islamic history, in, Islami- in Islamic conquests and in Islamic scripts. We have to be frank about that. Islam is palpably, demonstrably, evidently not a religion of peace. Vote against this motion. Thank you. Thank you. you. Our motion is Islam is a religion of peace. And our
0: final speaker to argue for the motion that Islam is a religion of peace, Majid Nawaz, director of the Quilliam Foundation and formerly a member of a radical Islamist party.
3: Thank you. Uh, What I'd like to do is give you four reasons uh, to vote, Uh, uh, basically four reasons why the panel's Uh, arguments are incorrect and four reasons then to vote for the motion. Um, And as for the failure of the panel, I think number one is that there's a failure to contextualize. As I've tried to say time and time again, there's a failure to contextualize history and texts and sources, um, and there's an intellectual suspension that occurs when discussing Islam that simply doesn't occur when discussing the Constitution or any other piece of literature or writing. Secondly, there's a failure to disclose. And as we've heard from the panel, both of them, and there's nothing wrong with this, by the way, both of them are not believers of any faith, and that's their perfect right to do so. But they've made it clear their real agenda is with all religions. And I think we have to be honest with ourselves that actually religions can and have historically played much good and have have come to much good in the world, including the Reformation, despite the fact we have to contextualize it. Thirdly, there's a failure to nuance. And as we've heard Gross generalizations about Islam by quoting isolated passages are being made. And fourthly, there's failure to be honest. honest, And that honesty uh, uh, is, is in refusing to recognize that the vast majority of Muslims where there have been democratic elections have refused to turn in the extremists. Now, please vote for the motion. And the reason I'd say that is reclaim Islam. Don't let the minority hijack it. Yes, even for those of you who are not Muslims, reclaim it because it's a faith like all other faiths that does need to be redefined in current times. Secondly, vote for peace. This is not a vote for Islam. And thirdly, I'd say, help the confused Muslims in the world, the faction, the minority, the young minds, like I was, who are confused, help them make up their minds by giving them guidance, by giving them an olive branch and voting for peace tonight. And finally... I'd say that even if you're unsure, even if you think Islam is not a religion for peace, I would ask all of you here tonight to vote. As we've heard the admission from the other panel, it can be a religion of peace. So vote for what you'd like Islam to be. If you'd like Islam to be a religion of peace, vote for it.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Now it's time to learn which side has argued best. Uh, Before we get there, I just want to say that uh, this has been probably the most spirited debate that we've ever had, and uh, I thought it was conducted uh, mostly with respect uh, and with honesty, and I want to congratulate all of our panelists for coming out here. All right. It's all in now. I've been given the results. Remember, the team that changes the most minds is declared our winner. And here it is. Our motion is Islam is a religion of peace. Before the debate, 41% were for the motion, 25% were against, and 34% were undecided. After the debate, 36% are for the motion, 55% against, 9% undecided. The side against the motion wins. Congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, presented by the Rosencrantz Foundation, was held at New York University's Skirball Center for the Performing Arts. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Dana Wolf is the executive producer. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.iq2us.org. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR.